Good morning, Evergreen. So good to be with you today. I'm sure that I've confessed this to you before, but just in case you missed it, my name is Ilsian and I am directionally challenged. Yes, I have very little sense of direction. Geography is not my thing. I love traveling, but I get lost easily. And so when people say, go west at the intersection, I'm like, so can you tell me if that a left or a right? You know, like, what do you mean by that? Um, it's kind of like the meme we're going to see up here. Hopefully we have it. Um, okay, maybe it'll come up. There you go. That's how I feel. I, like, gaze into the space like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, my sense of direction is about this much. And so before smartphones and map apps existed, I had to account for travel time that included possible lost time. I did. It was pretty bad, especially living in LA. So to say that the GPS is the greatest invention is an understatement. But even with GPS, I still managed to miss a turn and get rerouted. Anyone else? Yep, okay, good, I'm not alone. Praise the Lord. Um, now, I'm grateful that as terrible as I am with the sense of direction, I've not experienced something like this before. Let's take a look. Very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake right there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. There's no lake here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. OK. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Leighton. Right up. Are you OK? Because following directions to a new place can be tricky. Um, you don't really know the way, so you got to trust that the map is telling you, um, you know, what th that you should follow. You, hopefully, you'll, you trust it, and you follow its lead, and hopefully, you won't en end up in a lake somewhere. But see, when I lived in the San Fernando Valley and would drive to my parents' house, they lived in Santa Clarita. It's like a 30-minute drive or so without traffic. I knew the way. Like, I had been going that way for many years, so I knew the way. But from time to time, I would turn on my GPS because LA traffic is just another beast. And so I had to make sure that, you know, if there was car accidents or whatever, that I'd just take an account for the time. Um, because I knew that carne asada was waiting for me at my parents' house. So I just wanted to make sure it didn't take me twice as long to get there. And so um, even with the Waze app, um, it would tell me, it would reroute me to tell me to take the 5 instead of the 14. I was like, no, because the 5 adds extra miles. I'm not letting extra miles come between me and my carne asada. Like, no way. You know, so I would ignore what it would tell me and try to take the shortest route. It wouldn't always work out, though. But see, if you had a choice between taking the shortest route or the longest route to your vacation, which route would you choose? Shortest. 
if you said longest, you're probably not thinking about it correctly. But, you know, usually most of us say we would definitely take the shortest route. Why? Because it's something you want. It's something that you've been looking forward to. And um, what about the route to the way of healing or the way of freedom or the way of restoration? What about the way to a future promise that God's given you or to a new life? See, no one wants to take longer to get somewhere. And the obvious thing about going to a place that you've not gone before is that you don't know the way. That's obvious. And see, when I got pregnant with Charlie, I had never been pregnant or known the way of uh, motherhood before. I've read about it. I've seen my friends go through it. Um, And I just didn't know the way of pregnancy and motherhood. And so when I became a born-again believer, it was the same thing. I didn't know what it was like to be somebody that had a relationship with Jesus. I had not gone the way to a life surrendered to Jesus. And so the reality is that in most seasons of our lives, there are ways we have not gone before. Ways unknown to us that God wants to lead us in. But trusting God with directions to get a bit complicated when where he's leading us doesn't make sense. And see, rerouting, this new series that we're coming into this week, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about God's leading. So let's read a story found in the Old Testament, and it's Exodus 13, verses 17 through 18. And it'll be on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll see it up on the screen. And it says this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And so, see these people, people that we're talking about in this chapter, had been enslaved for 430 years. See, Pharaoh, the ruler of the time, had oppressed them for that long. Moses, the leader that was chosen among them, had gone to the Pharaoh and repeatedly asked on behalf of God to let his people go. And time after time, they kept asking and Pharaoh kept denying them the opportunity to leave Egypt. It happened 10 times until finally, even after Pharaoh saw all the miracles and a wonderful, powerful working hand of God, he would say no. But then finally, the 10th time, he said, okay, you're off, go. And so they go. So we find ourselves at this place where they are heading off because they're finally no longer enslaved. And it says that God did not lead them along the main road. But he took them through Philistine territory. And this is what I need you to know. When rerouting happens in your life, in our life, the long way may seem like the wrong way, but if God is leading, it's the best way. And why is it the best way? Well, let's talk about it. See, God knows 
what God knows that you don't know about the route, he knows something about the route that you do not know. And see, he knew that the main road, other versions of the Bible describe it as the way of the land of the Philistine, refers to the northern of three routes that people would take from Egypt to Canaan. It was usually a five-day journey, so it shouldn't have taken long. But instead of taking this route, they were led to a different route. Because see, the thing was about this route was that the Egyptians had heavily fortified this caravan route. So if the Israelites continued, they would be engaged in battle. And after 430 years of being enslaved, they had not had to physically fight. So God knew they weren't ready to face that. And see, what I find bewildering about the text at the end of those verses, it says that um, though they weren't ready for battle, the very end of it says they left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And it means that the formation that they were walking in was that of a military formation. Though they weren't battle ready, they were going to walk as though they were. That's kind of crazy to me. And so we can say that the Israelites come out of slavery and march into the center of God's will. The center of God's will for them was the wilderness. And see, God led them through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. God knew about this route that Pharaoh and his army would chase them. He knew that they would come after him. See, and sometimes we think about God's will, and we don't think that God's will equals the wilderness, right? We want God's will to be good and beautiful and pretty and a field of sunflowers and us dancing in the middle of it. That's what we want God's will to look like. But in this story, we see that the center of God's will for this people is right in the middle of the wilderness. And God knew that in this route that he was leading them in, that there would be an enemy that would pursue them and that would try to trap them again. He knew that Pharaoh and his army would chase after the Israelites. See, had I been there with the Israelites, I think I would have been like Dwight and Michael's car. Like, no, 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 you're going the wrong, we are heading to a body of water. This is the wrong way. This doesn't make sense. You know, and I, I would have felt like that because here they are and God led them to a place where there is no way to go, according to them. And so it's in this place, though, in this place that doesn't make sense to them. It is in the wilderness where God would display his glory. In other words, God would show them what he is known for. And we sing it all the time. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Right? We sing it. We sing it as a declaration that when we are facing difficult moments, that when we are going through a situation that seems impossible, our soul is going to be anchored in him and who he is. That we're going to wait on his promise to be fulfilled in our life. That 
He is the God that makes a way. He is the one that works miracles. See, and on this route, not only was God going to create a way, but God was going to help his people cross and go through dry path. But in that same area, he was going to drown and destroy and defeat the enemy, the people that held them captive. Their oppressors were going to be destroyed. See, God knew Pharaoh's heart that, that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. And that in the end, he would chase after them and he would regret letting them go. And sometimes there are things about our lives that we don't know, but that God knows. So he takes us on a route because he knows, hey, we better go this way. And see, the wilderness is a place of danger, but it's also a place of deliverance, divine deliverance. And this is what the people got to experience. They got to experience God's deliverance. See, they felt the danger of Pharaoh's army closing in on them. It says that Pharaoh was chasing them with chariots and horses so they could see the enemy closing in on them. And they were panicked, and I totally get it. I would be panicked too. But that's in the moment that God shows up with deliverance and makes a way for them to cross. And the wilderness, we got to know that it is not devoid of God's presence. That though it may feel like it, God is there. And it says that in the wilderness, God's presence would lead them and provide for them. In verse 21 of that chapter, it says, He guided them during the day with the pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with the pillar of fire. And that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire represented God's presence in their lives. And so God was telling them, in the moments where you feel abandoned, I am committed to you. In the moments where you feel forgotten, God is committed to you. In the moments of doubt and fear, God is committed to you. And his presence is with you and his promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And so um, we, we, we got to learn that in those moments, even though they don't make sense to us. And they're scary as scary can be. I was going to say scary as hell, but we're in church, so. Um, um, that his presence is there with us. See, when I worked at a nonprofit in downtown L.A., in the middle of Skid Row, and, and Skid Row was a section of blocks in downtown L.A. where the homeless population congregated. And I lived there, I worked at a youth, I mean, I worked at a youth center there. And sometimes leaving at 10 p.m. at night was a bit risky and scary, but I loved it. I loved my job that I was willing to take that risk Monday through Friday. And I was the supervisor of the youth center there. And I worked with middle school students, with high school students and their parents. And we would take an annual 10-day Yosemite trip. I loved it, and I would get paid for it. It was the best. And we would go on crazy adventures like bungee jumping and beach camping and whitewater rafting. I mean, this was the life, and I loved it. And then 
Two years into this job that I loved, I sensed that God was leading me to resign. And that didn't make sense to me. I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm hearing you correctly. This doesn't make sense. Um, and so I was like, well, like, what about my bills? And what about my rent? And what am I supposed to do next? Like, I really like what I'm doing. And so I decided before writing that letter of resignation that I would call one of my mentors, Rosa. And so I called my Colombian mentor and I said, hey, I, I, I'm going through this. I explained everything that was going on and what I felt God leading me to do. And so I told her, I'm calling you because I need your counsel. Like, what should I do? And um, I told her, like, quitting my job doesn't make sense, right? Nobody does that. And then she, she said, well, Ilsean, you know, this morning I was doing my Devo, I was reading my Bible, and in the midst of that, what stuck out to me was that um, throughout the journey of the people of God in the desert or in the wilderness, when the cloud would move, they would move. And when the cloud would stop, they would stop. And so she said, so I think the question to, to ask is, you know, is God's cloud or presence moving? And do you need to move too? Or, you know, should you stay? And I was like, really? You're not going to just tell me? Like, should I? This is what I called you for. And she's like, you just, you got to ask that question and just kind of ask the Lord to help you. And I was like, great. So right after I hung up with her, I picked up the phone and called my young adult pastor. I was like, all right, she can help me. Let me call my young adult pastor and ask him for help. And so I explained, Jeff, this is what's going on. You know, same thing, blah, blah, blah. What should I do? And he said, Ilsian, I can't tell you what to do, but I can share this with you. You know, this morning I was listening to a sermon by a pastor, and he was talking about, um, how God led the Israelites out of the wilderness and through a cloud, a pillar of fire at night. And he starts going through this whole thing. And he said, and when the cloud would move, they would move. But if the cloud remained, they would remain. So I think you need to ask yourself, is God moving and should you move too? I was like, okay, I get it, Lord. Like you're talking to me, right? And so in this, in this place of um, trying to figure out what God was leading me to do if I was supposed to resign, when they had the exact same response, I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. I think I'm supposed to take the step of faith. Um, even though it was scary to leave my full-time job with benefits, I knew that God was leading me and that I could trust him for the next step, even though I didn't have a job lined up. And my mom thought it was crazy, and I agree with her, it was. And see, but in this place of not having a job and allowing God to lead me to resign, God showed up as a provider. God showed up and showed me that I can depend on him, and he provided. I mean, for those two weeks, I ate so good. I don't know if people just felt sorry for me or what, but like, I ate so good. And God provided for the bills. And in that time, to um, shame, ben, ben would not be happy with this, but I had not taken financial peace university. 
so credit card debt was a thing. So I had the pressure of credit card bills, you know, I have to pay these things. And in the middle of all that, I decided I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to believe that he's leading me to resign. And God allowed that season in my life to see that he is provider, but also to make a way. And this is how I started working in vocational ministry. And since then, since 2007, I've been working in ministry full time. And see, God knows something about the route that you don't know. He knows the way that he's going to make that you've not discovered. See, God is the creator. He will create and make opportunities that aren't there for us and for allowing him to lead us. And see, what God knows that you don't know about your heart is that in the wilderness, God uses it to show himself, but to show us ourselves. And see, the thing is, and we read it in, in the previous verses, that if the people are faced with the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knew what they could face. And, and in the wilderness, God wanted not only to reveal himself, but reveal to the people their own hearts. And see, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, and God knows our heart and he knows the enemies of our heart. He knows the pride. He knows the greed. He knows the anger and the jealousy that we deal with that's there that sometimes we don't even know is there until someone else gets a promotion instead of us. See, God knows these things about our heart. And in Psalm 139, it says that he knows the depths of our heart. Still, he loves us the same. And the awesome thing about God is that he searches our hearts. He searches our hearts. He's the one that sees. And God knows what you can face. And see, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that he will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. He knows what you're ready for. And so God knew his people weren't ready to take possession of the promised land. He knew that they needed to take this route of wilderness where they would learn. See, slavery had done a number on them, and the sad reality is that oppression breaks the human spirit. And the thing is that sometimes you and I want to get over something. You know, when trauma, when difficult things happen, we want to get over it, right? That's just a tendency. I just want to get over this. But it's not so much getting over it, but getting through it. God wants us to work in that trauma, to work in that pain, to bring healing. So sometimes it's not that, that quick. Just get over it, but trusting him to take you through it. And see, God knew that fear would grip their hearts. And so through the wilderness, God led them. The wilderness is a place of preparation and a place where you learn to depend on God. See, and we see that in Luke, Jesus was led to the wilderness by his spirit. So God will lead you to the wilderness when, you, when he needs to prepare, 
when there needs to be this process of preparation in your life for the next season that he has for you. So what does this mean for you? How do you know that God is leading you? And what I can tell you is that the best GPS you have and I have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to all truth, the scripture says. So we can ask him for direction. And sometimes that direction will come in like a nudge. Like you'll just like have this sense or this feeling. When um, we were, I think it was like 34 weeks pregnant with Charlie, or about to be 34 weeks, I just had this, I was in the kitchen, and I was thinking about my day, and all of a sudden I just got like this feeling like you should call and make an appointment. And I was like, but they were supposed to make an appointment. Like, it should be fine. But I was like, no, call and make an appointment. And so I picked up the phone, I called um, the doctor, and then that same I think the next day I was in the doctor, and they, that's when the whole journey began, and we were rushed to emergency and had to have a C-section to help Charlie um, make it alive, you know, because the oxygen wasn't going. See, but if I had not listened to that gentle nudge that said, call, make an appointment, I probably would have missed Charlie. And see, there's so many times, and even like, if um, I lived a long life as a single person, and so I did not have the privilege of having like a guy look at my car tires or tell me what's wrong with my car. So sometimes the Holy Spirit would even help me. Like all of a sudden I'd be like, have this thought like, oh, get your tires checked out. I was like, oh, oh yeah, that looks bad. You know, like it's just the reality of the, how I live. And so even in little things like that, it comes in a form of a nudge. It comes as a thought you wouldn't normally have. Sometimes it's a sense that you're supposed to do something. Sometimes, and a lot of times, it should be, it should confirm, it should agree with the word of God. So does it align with the word of God? And I love that wisdom, the Bible says in Proverbs, comes by the counsel of people. So who is in your life that you can kind of, hey, I think God is saying this, but I just need you to pray or I need you to confirm or like me, I need you to tell me what to do. If they're a good person, they're going to tell you, go to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus got you. He's going to tell you what to do. But see, maybe you're new at this parenting thing. You can say, Holy Spirit. I've never done this parenting thing before. Holy Spirit, I've never done this teen parenting thing before. Help me figure this out. Holy Spirit, I've never done this tithing thing before. Giving, giving a percentage away of my hard-earned money, that doesn't make sense. Holy Spirit, I've never done this therapy thing before. How do I do this? Holy Spirit, I've never had to do life without my spouse. How do I do this? Holy Spirit, I've never seen my parents fight. How do we do this? See, the Holy Spirit is there 
and his presence is there to lead us in every season of our life, to lead us into the unknown ways that God has for us. But we got to learn to trust that because God loves us, he has the best in mind for us. And my next question, or maybe you're asking, like, how do we learn to release control when God is rerouting? Oh, man, that is a good question. It's not Jesus, take the wheel. But it's Jesus, I will drive with you and let you lead me. It's a help me trust that just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than my ways and your thoughts higher than my thoughts, as Isaiah 55, 9 says. See, because Mark Batterson says, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. And so when God is leading us, to a place that we've not gone before. Know that he loves you and that he has the best in mind for you. You're his child. He gave his life for you. He loves you. And it says in the Bible that he has plans to bring us a hope and a future and not to harm us. So will you trust that he is for you, and he will lead you down the best path that he has for you. Would you close your eyes right where you are? And we're going to get ready for communion in just a bit. But I want to maybe talk to those that have not um, made a decision this morning. And see, his best started at the cross. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would receive forgiveness and know eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God is giving you a gift. And if you're here and you've never said yes to this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I'd like to take a moment and invite you to respond. Maybe you're here and you've not said yes to this gift of salvation. With everybody's eyes closed, if that's you, and today you want to say yes to Jesus, would you raise your hand right where you are so I could see you? If you want to say yes to the gift of salvation today. And for those of us that have already said yes. I want to prepare us to take communion. And as we take communion, that we would do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, for his sacrifice, for his mercy, for his grace. So I'm going to invite you to take your cup right where you are. And you can peel off that first layer and get your wafer out.
And this represents the body of Christ that was given for us. It was broken for us so that we would be made whole. So as you take it this morning, I want to invite you to just take a few seconds and reflect and say, God, I want to trust in the way that you're leading me today. So would you take a few seconds and do that? And then you can thank him for his leading and participate of his body. And when you're ready, you can peel off the second layer to the juice of your communion cup. And as you hold the cup in your hand, I just want you to take a few seconds. And I don't know about you, but I know that I've gone my own way before. And not necessarily listen to where he is leading me. So Lord, I take this moment ask for forgiveness and repent of going my way and I want to trust you I want to trust your forgiveness I want to trust that you poured out your blood for me so that I could be healed and whole when you're ready you can take of the cup Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you that you are good at leading us. Thank you that you are patient with us and helping us to grow and helping us to have faith in you. So Lord, as we take this next few weeks to seek you and to seek your direction for us and um, individually, but also as a community that you call Evergreen Christian Center. Lord, would you give us a listening and attentive ear to your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to know the way that you're leading us to go? In Jesus' name, amen.